Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Bees for Brittle MMA podcast. Thank you again for joining us this week and we've got a very special guest and I'm very excited to share this interview with you guys. So enjoy the show and thanks again for tuning in. All right, we've got episode 10 of Beers for Brutal with a special guest today. He was the inaugural light heavyweight strike force champion. He had the most light heavyweight strike force title defenses as well. He was on the Ultimate yep. Fighter season one. He stood across the ring slash cage from Vitor Belfort, James Irvin, Vernon White, and Anthony Ruiz, to name a couple of those killers. We've got Mr. Bobby Southworth today. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great. You're one of our, you're probably our most decorated guests so far. That's for sure. You've been around, you fought a lot of tough guys during your career. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. Not a lot, but I fought my share. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not one of those guys with like 90 fights or anything like that. Yeah. Oh, dude, we've got one in the barrel. Hopefully, maybe he's kind of sporadic to get a hold of. Shoney Carter, he's fought like a thousand people. Oh, so. yeah, Shoney, he's the OG. He was fighting before I was. I think we even actually fought on a few cards together. He's got, he was showing me, he was like some of these promotions before they came up with like doing belts specifically, they would give out like masks. Have you ever heard of any of those? You get like a luchador mask? Nope, I've never heard of that. But uh, wow, he had fought, like five of them. Shoney fought everywhere, so it's you know, I mean, he's a he's quite a character. It's pretty wild. Do you he's ever still met fighting. So In fact, you know, you know, he has a uh, yes. I just saw a, a thing on my Facebook. It scrolled across the screen. I actually, respond. I was like, "How old is Shoney?" Now I thought he was older than me, but he's he's younger than me. But yeah, man, he's a nut. But he's a cool dude. I always liked hanging around him. He is still fighting. Yeah, he's wild. He's yeah. he's got some great moments anytime he's on the camera just about it's like oh man what is gonna happen with he's, this he's definitely made for the spotlight so he's got tons of stories i'm sure he'll be when you have you had him on yet or you haven't had him on no yet? we haven't had him on yet i've only talked to him on uh the phone basically i'm sure he'll be a much better interview than i am <laughs> it'd be <laughs> pretty good definitely got more stories well, I listened to a podcast I think you did a couple weeks ago. I can't remember the name of it, but I really enjoyed that episode. You had a lot of good stories to tell about yeah, there's, I have a, they were They were cutting me off a lot in the, the podcast that I do, but I know you guys are all pressed for time. I got tons of stories that from even before I was fighting because the team I'm from and the area I'm from was really like a mecca for MMA. Can you guys give me one second? Sorry. Yeah, it's all good. Boy, can you come get Coda, please? Come on, can you not? I'm working right now. <laughs> My daughter is trying to take over the screen. If I give her an inch, she'll try to take over the whole the whole thing. So I gotta gotta send her back to the back room. <laughs> She's quite a character herself. So um, yes, I got tons of stories from even before I started fighting and you know, the team that I fought for for so long. I mean, most of the names that you guys know from American Kickboxing Academy, I was there long before those guys ever came. I'm like, the team was founded by um, BJ Penn and and Javier Mendez and myself is how it all started back in the way back in the day, like in, I don't even know, maybe it was like 99 or 2000. Yeah, you definitely talked about that a lot in the podcast, and I wanted to get more of like that because that was pretty interesting about how you got started. I think uh, you were saying you knew BJJ and like wrestling, and they didn't have that there until you started teaching that. And I thought that was pretty interesting. I wanted to hear more about that. And then you, I think you said you're from like San Jose, California, which I've never heard actually, of that area. I'm actually from Santa Cruz, and you've heard of San Jose. It's just everybody calls it Silicon Valley. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So San Jose is where like Google, Microsoft, Hewlett Packard, all of these these um before the big the whole dot com thing. That's where all those companies started up. But I'm actually from Santa Cruz. It's a small town about 30 miles outside of Silicon Valley, right on the coast. I'm like a kind of like a beach boy. I grew up uh, just playing basketball and surfing. Actually, when I came to AKA, I really didn't have any wrestling. Jiu-Jitsu was my first martial art. You know, a good friend of mine from high school showed me the first 
two UFCs on a on a cassette. And he was this guy was always a businessman, and he was bringing a Brazilian guy up there. The Brazilian guy was only a purple belt, but back in 1994, 95, that was a big deal. So he took me to my first jujitsu class, and I fell in love with it. And I kind of, I mean, I didn't take jujitsu to set out to be a fighter. I was just like everybody else. You know, you watch Hoist Gracie choke out all these guys. And, you know, we all thought that Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris, you know, that that was, that was the fighting style that was the most effective. And the Gracie family definitely, you know, turned everybody on their heads with that. And having watched it and having always wanted to do martial arts, but I was never able to do martial arts as a kid because my parents were pacifists. And it was a big deal for my for me to get to play like, competitive athletics my brother and my sisters had to like convince my parents to let me play because I had an aptitude for sports I'm adopted so I, I was like kind of the only athlete in the family most of my family is academics so it was a big deal for me to get to play like basketball and football um and after college I played basketball in college after college I was just looking for something to do to stay in shape and to to kind of you know to like scratch that competitive itch so to speak you know I've been an athlete my whole life and when he took me to that first jiu-jitsu class it kind of all blended together where I was always fascinated with martial arts I needed I needed something to do to occupy my time to keep me focused and and jiu-jitsu just did that and I literally have barely picked the basketball up in the last 20 I've actually been doing jiu-jitsu now longer than I've, I ever played convent, uh, mainstream sports, basketball, football, baseball. So once I I found jujitsu, it was a love affair and I just never looked back. But it's hard, especially eh, combat sports, almost the intensity of it kind of almost ruins regular sports for you. Cause then you're watching like some of these guys like argue with the ref about a basketball call. You're like, oh man, you could not get in your own head like that in a fight. That would not play out for you. That was really what, like, really, like, drew me to, 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 to take the step towards fighting is that in, like you said, basketball, you can always point a finger, right? You can always blame the ref or your guy, your, your teammate's guy scored 20 points or another teammate's guy got 15 rebounds. There's always somebody that you can point a finger at to kind of take or even yourself you know what I mean to take the blame for losing the game but in fighting there's nobody it's it's all on you you know what yeah. I mean you've got to whatever happens in the cage good or bad is you've got to own that so that was really that, that individual responsibility for the outcome was a really really drew me in so yeah, I agree for sure. I know um, you were at one point you were talking about when you're watching like mixed martial arts and you're thinking like a small party is like you kind of want to be in the cage too. And like I by no means have never been in a fight, but when I first started watching it, it like motivates me to like not only get into a fight, but definitely work out just because of how good of shape everybody's in and how like dedicated and like disciplined they were to one learn those skills and then also to like cut weight, you know. And we also uh, watched, um, is it the ultimate fight of the season that you yeah. were in? And you had that weight cut. And that was like, it was like 20 pounds on like a day. And I was wanted to ask you if you like remember that and like, just like reflecting re- back on it. I remember that, but only in flashes, like the weight Ooh. cut was so brutal that like, and this is, I, this is a story I've told before is I was sitting on the couch. So I'd made the weight and did all that stuff. And then we finished filming the season. I went home, they did the editing and then the the episode aired, right? And so I'm sitting there with my girlfriend and we're watching the fight. And the weight cut was so brutal. And I have like 72 hours of time that are like lost or where there are barely, there are like just flashes of recognition. So in the fight where I won the fight and I happened to knock out my opponent, like, I'm looking at my girlfriend going, no, no, that, that's not what happened. I only hit him one time and I, he fell down. And then I turned to the camera and started blowing kisses and telling the kids I love them. <laughs> and she's all, what are you talking about? She's all, you're seeing it right here. That's how it happened. It couldn't have happened any other way. But that was my, my memory was in the video. I came out, I hit 
him with a three-piece combo and he went down and I came running in to, to you know, he was still, it stiffed him up, but he was still sitting up. So I came running in to hit him again and big John McCarthy kind of tackled me and threw me across the ring. I hit the cage, stood up, and then I started blowing kisses. But my memory was what I just said. I thought he came out, threw a kick, I hit him one time and that was it. And that's how bad the weight cut was, at least mentally. There were a lot of other physical stuff yeah. that were, was going on like up until like maybe an hour before two hours before the fight when I was trying to like get loose and warm up I my abdomen was still cramping up so bad that it was like pulling me into the fetal position and guys were having to like they were pulling me out it was in the night before it was even worse than that like if I moved wrong it looked like my stomach would cramp up and it would the cramps would be shifting around it looked like there was an alien about to rip out of my stomach and I would be pulled into a fetal position I was I never experienced anything like that you know I mean before that I had maybe cut like five pounds and I don't really consider that cutting you can lose that in a 30-45 minutes on a treadmill but it was actually 22 pounds that I had to cut to make the weight and that was just brutal brutal is brutal there's so much (laughs) respect for people who you know train and fight like that yeah it was tough takes a lot of dedication Oh, there's a part when you're leaving the sauna and you like go to the cold tile floor. I'm like, oh, that tile must have felt so good <laughs> in that moment. I couldn't, I couldn't consciously tell you that, but yeah. getting out of the sauna, I mean, literally, it was like heaven and hell, right? You go into hell, you're walking into hell, and every time you get out, it's like fresh air, cool Ooh. air. It was like a a little breath of heaven. So yeah, it was a that yeah, was pretty crazy. pretty intense. I feel like if they if that exact same episode played out the exact same way it did on the new seasons, like the Disney owned seasons, there people would woo, they would not be having it. I think they'd be like, Can you believe this? Oh What's yeah, that? I think it would I think it would be a big controversy, but that was 15 years ago, right? Yeah. And now there's a lot more known about, you know. CTI, like, you know, concussive trauma from combat sports. There's a lot more known about the effects of, of, re- of drastic dehydration to make weight. Um, and I mean, before the, the statistics are, I mean, if you lost 5% of your body mass, that was considered to be extremely extreme dehydration. So yeah, I was, I had to cut from 227 yeah. to 205 pounds. And so that's 22 pounds. That was like, 10%, if not a little bit more than 10% of my body. Yeah. So, so, you know, yeah. I was probably close to like seizing up or whatever happens yeah. when you're extremely dehydrated. And Ooh. luckily it didn't happen. And it would end you won. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes. That was amazing. Yeah. yeah. That was awesome. And you can, and you can go back, you guys can go back and watch any of the seasons because there are other guys in my weight class that, and other weight classes that struggled to make the weight. I'm the only guy that ever had a weight issue and actually made the weight and nobody had to cut anywhere near the amount of weight that I had. Yeah, there are guys that had to cut six pounds and couldn't make the weight. Yep. There are guys that had to cut 11 pounds and couldn't make the weight. So I get a lot of hate. That's why I'm, I want to emphasize the fact that I'm the only one, you know, cause yeah. a lot of people hate on me and it's like, go, okay, go into the sauna and let me see if you can lose five pounds, seven pounds, 10 pounds and tell me how, and tell me how hard that is, let alone come back and perform the next day. So that's yeah. why I never like I never post anything bad or say anything bad about fighters at all just because I'm like you people just watch and you have no idea what they go through to cut weight yeah. to train to not see their families like uh, I think Dan Hooker he's like he took a fight with like a few weeks notice and he's not going to be able to see his family because of like COVID regulations and I'm like you yeah. people cannot talk like just about like how much dedication you know fighters put in <laughs> they, talk, they talk, talk about it really. They talk, they try to say they, anybody that critiques fight, fighters in any way, my only question to them is how come you're not fighting them? If yeah, it's, exactly. such, it's so easy, why are you, you know, and then it, it just brings up the whole Teddy Roosevelt, you know, the famous Teddy Roosevelt quote about the man in the arena. In the arena yeah. So it's like, if MMA was easy, everybody would be doing it. And, you know, I mean, I think there are a lot more football players and soccer players and basketball players than there are professional MMA fighters in the world. But I'm sure that's also changing because MMA is the fastest growing sport in the world. And yeah. with the help of the UFC and, again, the ultimate fighter, it's, it's 
growing in countries, I mean, third world countries are starting to produce some of the, some top MMA fighters as well. Oh yeah. So those guys are fighting for survival. Like Russia. They're not going to give up. That's almost, they're almost, there's a pretty big difference between, have you watched the newer ultimate fighter seasons? I did. Yeah. There's a big difference now. It's guys that are like everyone, no one really, no one drinks on it anymore. That's for sure. (laughs) No one drinks on it. Everybody used to drink for like the first, I don't know, 10 seasons, seasons, it seems. It seemed for a while. Well, you know, part of being on the first season and I had already been in the sport for a while and part of what was hard for me, not only being one of the oldest guys is that nobody saw where the sport was going to go, right? If I saw that the sport, if I knew that the sport was going to explode and do what it was going to do, I might've been a different character on the show. You know, these guys coming in to the ultimate fighter or going on Dana White's contender series. I mean, MMA is a legitimate sport. You can see it as a way where you can provide for your family's future and see what I mean, where you can provide for your family's future. And there's a path to money, to fame, to a lot of to springboard, to a lot of other platforms like acting, sports casting, things like that, that in the first few seasons that people didn't know that. So, yeah, it was almost like, almost like the Leatherhead football era. <laughs> yeah. I like when you make that analogy. Yeah. It almost was like, cause it was like the pioneer era of the sport. Cause even the way people train on those early seasons is so different than how people would do it nowadays. Like there's, I, I think it's the I think it's Matt Hughes as the coach and his team keeps losing and he's like that's it hard sparring till these guys get it and he just just yeah. makes them even more exhausted and they continue <laughs> to lose afterwards. Or and like with one I think it's one championship they do the hydration test now um, for like Oh, I don't cuts. know a lot about that. I read something about with their weight cuts, they will do hydration testing to see how much you've lost and that also will go into the data to see whether you'll fight or not. In, in, I, I don't know about one championships, but in boxing, they have been doing that for a while. So like if you fight at a certain weight class, like 145, you can't get back. You can't go into the ring at weighing like more than nine or 10 pounds over the weight that you were supposed to weigh in at. So and I'm not sure how long that's been going on, but definitely, again, the, all combat sports have been evolving over the last few, 15 years. And obviously, tough was a big part of that and the expansion of MMA was a big part of that and it's been an evolution in training methods I mean if you look at just 10 years ago I mean even 11 years ago I think GSP was one of the first guys to really have hired this guy Jonathan or Jason Chamberg a legitimate kinesiologist a strength and conditioning coach and it wasn't that wasn't a big part I mean most of my fighting career I was just training the way that I was training when I was playing college basketball. So um, it's just the sport has evolved in so many ways, not just in training methods, training methodology, but in the science of the sport, the science of strength and conditioning, the science of MMA training, be it Brazilian jiu-jitsu, striking. So it's just, and that's what happens when sports grow. I mean, if you look at football back in the day, football's way different now than it is um, yeah, they, then it was. They, Give me one second because this yeah. thing is going to, the battery's going to, I'm going to go grab the power cord okay. real quick. I'll be right back. Yeah, we'll keep it going. Yeah, it was, you know, they used to not even wear face masks. They used to not wear pads at all. There's lots of, uh, and people in like NFL back in the day would put like, I think there was a dude who he would have a cast like on his hand, but he put like a metal plate in his cast and he would like come around and hit people on the side of the helmet with it. So there was some wild stuff like in football back in the day. So That's GSP who we were just talking about. Yeah. Oh, that was against Tom. BJ Penn, who he uh, started uh, AK with. Okay. BJ Penn was the uh, opponent for that. Okay, George, GSP is George St. Pierre, right? Yep. Okay. Yep, he's one of the best of all time. There he goes. There. So that should be better. All right. Sorry about that. Hopefully you guys will be editing this before you air it. 
Well, we were just talking about, we just kept, she was like, oh, and what are some other rules? She, and she was talking about how like uh, GSP got oiled up the one time. And I was like, oh, that was against how he was talking about BJ Penn earlier. That was against him. So, so that was, they changed that rule after that. Yeah. Or like how fighters are, are much well-rounded, like than what they used to be. Like, I remember you have saying like judo doesn't really work anymore. Not as much, but I'm talking way back. Like if you, when he was talking about like UFC one and two, yeah. it would say like, he's a shoot fighter. He may throw punches. <laughs> like on the, on the, Yeah. It was on the thing. in the old days, in the bare knuckle days, it was, it was, a huge help. I mean, that was the days where, like, if you remember the old football where they were wearing leather helmets with no face masks. Yeah. So that's like kind of the evolution. But I mean, football evolved over like 40 years from that, and MMA has evolved to in to where it is now in like 10 to 15 years. So it's you know, and it's gonna only get the athletes are gonna get better, the, the, their skills are only gonna get better. So I think you have more elite level athletes coming into the sport these days than you did in the past, where maybe in the past you had like martial artists, but now you're getting, you know, division one level wrestlers, Olympic wrestlers, Olympic judokas, um, and combat sports in general. Now that people see it as a vehicle, I think that can really improve your life that more elite level athletes will be, will be making them not necessarily making the move, but, their interest will be peaked in that as a younger age, and maybe they won't be doing football, basketball, soccer, baseball, and, and they'll be doing combat sports and seeing that as a vehicle, you know, for their future. Yeah, just, being on the wrestling team. Well, they even have stuff. they have youth MMA in America now. True. So they didn't have that back then. Like, there's kids who are 14 who are yeah. used to making the walk at this point. Yeah. <laughs> So. I mean, there, and you know, I mean, I started doing jujitsu. I never trained martial arts before when I was like 25. And if you look at a guy like Max Holloway, I mean, he already had, by the time he was that age, he was a black belt in jujitsu. He probably already had 25 to 30 fights and probably 15 to 20 of those were in the UFC. Um, and you have this, there's a couple of the kids coming out of China that, that um, wrong, wrong something. He just fought on one of the last few cards, and he's been a pro since he was 17. The song is Korean, I believe. Yeah. Um, Not Song Yudong. There's one. There's a lot of them. The Mongolian murderer, dude. He fights at 125. He's good. I think he's Chinese. (laughs) There are a lot of good fighters that are going to be coming from Asia, dude. There's there's Asia, the whole, you know, there's there's billions of people over there. There's got to be. Some yeah. good fighters on the rise over there. There's going to be fighters coming from all the stones like big Dagestan, Kazakhstan. There's going to yeah, be fighters coming out of Mongolia. It's yeah, Dagestan's record in the UFC is like 170 and eight or something like that yeah, as ridiculous. a country. <laughs> something like and they, they were before the Dagestani fighters made inroads into the UFC, they were fighting in Bellator, the earlier Bellator. They had a couple guys. Frodo, Kostulayev, Shamalak, Shamalayev, or something like that. And those guys were on the, the they were going to be champions until they had visa issues. So yeah. um, the Dagestan, those guys are both Dagestani. So the Dagestani fighters have been making inroads in the American MMA for a long time. It's just now that Khabib became such a star. I mean, you're you're seeing, you're just seeing it's like a it's like a Dagestani invasion, kind of like when the Beatles took over the record industry. You know, it's just if somebody's got a, if someone's got a beard and no mustache and they and they worship the Quran, dude, their wrestling is probably out outlandish. <laughs> they probably got some of the best <laughs> wrestling. I don't think ever all seen. the Muslim countries have great wrestling, but yes, no, no, no. Yeah. definitely a lot a lot of a lot of um there are I mean in the Middle East for sure wrestling is huge, you know. Yeah. And there's a lot of good wrestlers honestly, from it's all- Honestly, it's only in America that they're trying to take wrestling out of colleges and things like that and other countries. I mean, when I was a kid, we still had boxing in school. Like you could go and learn boxing in school. But by the time I got to seventh grade, they had taken that out. So they've been kind of trying to like pussify the American people, it seems like. You know what I mean? Waking them up. I, I don't know. You know, I think. Since we have firearms, it's too much. They don't want us to be able to throw hands or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. so. 
And I think there will be some more fighters coming from France too, because I was reading about how recently Definitely. it started, they started legalizing being able to competitively fight there, like um, Cyril Gaon coming from there. Yeah. I, um, Francis Ngannou came from, is from there. I mean, they came yeah. there, Francis came via other countries, but he definitely came from France. And there were a lot of other good French martial artists. Again, they weren't fighting in the UFC, but they were fighting in some of the lesser known promotions like Bodog, which is now defunct some of the Canadian promotions. Yes, the French people have a rich tradition of martial arts. It's just the way their government views mixed martial arts is very similar, even more extreme than I don't know if you guys remember back in the day when Senator McCain tried to outlaw the UFC and the UFC was, wasn't allowed on cable. I was fighting in those days like you, you, they started having to have all of the UFCs and all of the king of the cages and the IFCs, they were being held on Native American land because federal regulations didn't, didn't, weren't enforced there. And so for a number of years, a lot of those, a lot of promotions, including the UFC, they were being broadcast from like the Native American casinos and things like that. Um, but then when they got the weight classes and the gloves came in, people started to see that it more as a legitimate sport. And then it started to make inroads and became legal again. Yeah, and that's a history fact for me. I had no idea, but that makes sense. <laughs> like I said, you guys are new. Y'all are pretty new to the sport. That's okay. Yeah, the first time I ever watched a fight was when I was in tech school for the Air Force. And there's nothing to do, and they're like, "Oh, we're getting Conor McGregor versus Nate Diaz too." And I was like, "I'll watch it," and that was the first fight I ever, first fight card I ever sat through. And since then, I was like, "Oh man, I've got to watch all of this." You were gonna watch this. Oh, I was so hooked. I was like. This is way better because at the time that was a really when the NBA started yeah, getting heavy on the rules. Yeah. They started traveling getting heavy on the rules, the traveling, the freedom of movement rule where you like can't play defense at all seemingly anymore. Yeah. I was like, yeah. oh, this is way better than that. This is killing <laughs> that. Yeah, for sure. No doubt. In my first fight was it Habib was fighting Dustin Poirier. Yeah, that was the first one that you watched. He took me on a date to <laughs> Buffalo Wild Wings, and he was like, "We're gonna watch a fight." I was like, "Okay." I was like, "You don't even know. Here, you so. don't even know how great of a fight you're about to watch." <laughs> have you all been to a live event yet? We went to. Oh, I have a. We have a buddy who fights. We go to his fights. Okay. Like local fights here in Florida, and it was my first one. It was pretty awesome. We were pretty close to the cage, and. Yeah, it's intense when you know somebody who's fighting, though. You're like, yeah, you're kind of nervous. Come on, buddy. You can do it. You got this. <laughs> definitely when your friends are when your friends are fighting, it's it's definitely it's almost like you're in there with them. You know, you're almost yeah. as nervous as they are. Sweating you bullets. Next to their and... mom and she's praying <laughs> for them as well. You know. Have you cornered yeah. a lot? I have. I've cornered. I mean, I was one of the coaches at AKA as my fighting career starts to wind down. So I've traveled and cornered a lot of the fighters, a lot of the fighters that were, I moved to Texas in 2010. Um, and so any, most of the fighters coming out of AKA, I was either training with or cornering or assistant coaching kind of, you know, there's a whole head coaching thing, but we have, we had a very, a very big fight team. So at, there are times when we'd have one or two guys fighting in the UFC and the main Javier and crazy Bob would be going to corner those guys. But then we'd have guys fighting on strike forces or King of the cages or smaller shows. And so they would need other guys to go and corner those guys. And so, yeah, I've done a lot of cornering What's that quite like? a bit. Yeah. Is there, is there any, like, has there ever been anything crazy that you had to tell somebody in between rounds to kind of shake them out of it? Like, come on. Mm, not, not nothing really crazy. I mean, AKA has been around for a long time and we have a, a really solid coaching program and a really solid training system. And so most of the fighters and as a coach, Javier Mendez and crazy Bob, they're not going to put people into the cage that are unprepared physically or mentally. And so if you're not ready to fight, you're probably not even going to be making it through training. And that was in 2010 before I moved here. I recently went back. Um, I put posted some stuff on my IG and I was in the, in the gym and I actually did some training with some of the guys and um, it's even stricter there now before students who were at a certain level could come and train with the MMA team, like the purple belts in jujitsu and some of the kids, the people who had spent several years training Muay Thai, 
Um, maybe they hadn't done any amateur fights yet, but they could come in and train with the fighters. Now it doesn't work that way. Mm. There's a whole level. And when you go into that training room, there's 45 or 50 guys and they're either high level amateurs getting ready to turn pro or they're seasons professionals. And obviously the, the guys who are fighting in the UFCs and Bellators, most people just concentrate on the UFC fighters. But for every fighter that we have in the UFC, there are three or four guys behind them, like in Olympic sprinting, the guy who wins the gold medal and the guy, the first guy to not get a medal, the guy who finishes fourth, the difference in their time is like 0.015 of a second. You know what I mean? It's, it's that close. And so when you see the Cain Velasquez is the Khabib Nurmagomedovs, all these, these top level guys, there are guys behind them that are training with them every day. And that's one of the reasons that AKA fighters perform so well. And we produce so many champions, be it UFC, Bellator, Strikeforce, or other organizations is that our system. And it's like having a deep bench in basketball, right? We have a real deep bench there. And so even the guys that are coming off the guys that you don't see fighting in the UFC who are fighting in the other promotions, they're UFC level, you know, they're UFC level talent, UFC level skills. And you can't help but get better. If you're going to, if you're going to walk into the, into, a, into the training room on any given day, you don't bring your a game. It's going to be a rough day. And that's just physically, that's not counting the verbal wars that go on in the gym. I mean, some people I've seen fighters quit because they just can't handle the back and forth banner from other fighters. You know, it's, it can get brutal in there. There's a, there's been some crazy corner moments last year, especially there was a guy who quit in between rounds. He just retired. I mean, Anthony Smith got his teeth knocked out and in between rounds was telling his corner and they just like ignored him essentially he was like my teeth are getting knocked out and they're like breathe deep breath i'm like they seem very unconcerned with that or mike perry who didn't have a corner yeah mike perry didn't even have a corner he 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 had his girlfriend yeah he was just listening in you know fighters you know fighting takes a different breed of individual you know and i think it's a good thing that combat sports are coming to prominence because it gives so many people an outlet that maybe they wouldn't they wouldn't have and maybe those people would be taking more of a negative path in their life you know what i mean and i mean i you have to agree with me that a lot of the fighters are borderline psychotic you know psychotic or if that's the right term and 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 training combat sports training jujitsu training mma and being having the opportunity to compete is something that definitely keeps them a little bit more on the straight and narrow and i think that's a good thing Yeah, I agree for sure. I know we interviewed another fighter and he talked about, and this seems to be a common thing where like sometimes kids will get in trouble for fighting at school and it kind of gives them an outlet to kind of like get that, you know, aggression or whatever out in like a positive way to like you're at training and you're learning that discipline and not getting in trouble, you know, at school. I agree. And I think, you know, everybody goes to anger management or everybody goes to relationship counseling to deal with their emotions. Right. And I mean, violence, I know violence is kind of an act, but there are definitely emotions behind it, whether that be fear, anger, um, your your reptilian brain kicking in with that self-preservation instinct. And I think that training combat sports in almost any form, but definitely in grappling, whether it's jujitsu, wrestling, judo, because those actually simulate a real like life situation. Like you, if even if you're just on the mat training jujitsu and it's your first class, as soon as somebody gets on top of you, your fight or flight response kicks in. If you all have a pet at home, your cat or your dog, take it, turn it over on its back, rub its belly like you're playing with it and let your hand drift up to its neck and then slowly start to put pressure and see how fast they just pop up to their feet, you know, and their ears are back and they're, they're, there's not a mammal on the planet that doesn't, that wants something on top of it in an aggressive manner. And that elicits a certain response. And yeah, I think that training... Animals. Yes, and we are still animals and being in those situations that grappling puts you in, it allows you just like dealing with your emotions, it allows you to deal with these violent, these self-aggressive or self-preservation instincts. And I think that helps. I think it's very therapeutic on some level. Granted, I am not a licensed therapist, but I feel (laughs) like it helped me with those things. And I've seen it. I have tons of students who I've had these conversations with and it's definitely helped them. So I think it's a good thing. You know, yeah. if they want you to learn to deal with your emotions, but they don't want you to deal with your negative emotions, it's like everybody wants to deal with 
their love, you know what I mean? The, the, yeah. the ups and downs of a relationship and they need counseling for that. Well, I think you should be dealing with the type of emotions that aggressive responses trigger in individuals, you know, and I think it helps a lot of people. Dude, it definitely helps with a lot of things, confidence, especially Dude, people sure. with confidence issues. If they threw the gi on and went a couple times a week for a few <laughs> months, they, they would have to overcome some mental hurdles, but afterwards they would come out six months is going to pass either way or not. You right. may as well be, have your brain sharp by the end of it. So do you all oh, train at all? I train. I do BJJ. Okay. Do How BJJ. long have you been training? Only a few months. I'm not very good. I'm pretty rough. <laughs> okay. I've yeah, been training I'm, a long time and training 27 years. I'm still not very good. So. <laughs> yeah. You'll always think that way. Jiu-jitsu is a, if it resonates with you, it's like it becomes a lifestyle like surfing or mountain climbing. You know, it's just, it's what you do. And if you don't get to do it, it'll, you'll, you'll see if you're, if you're really into jujitsu and you take a couple of weeks off training, you'll see how irritable you get. And it just becomes a lifestyle. And it's an, and as it's always evolving, there's always going to be something to learn, always going to be something to work on in your own game to, to improve. And that's what makes it challenging. And that's what makes it fun, right? Yeah, dude, it's a great mm -hmm. challenge. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's a good way to also release like endorphins and like the serotonin, like the feel good hormones as well, just because moving around and getting that exercise for sure. <laughs> for so sure. That's another reason why I think it's good, just because it's proven that it releases like that dopamine, like, you know, like that reward sense. Like, I guess I don't train or anything, but I would imagine if you get a choke or submit somebody, you're going to feel like that dopamine boost of like reward like oh for sure for sure i wish i had some videos of the first of the times that some of my students got their first submission in class it, you would think that they had just won half a million dollars in the lottery <laughs> or something like that or you know what i mean it's like they get up yeah yeah all pumped up running around it's like, <laughs> dude calm down you know what i mean it's like but they, after, after you spend and i'm sure that you've experienced this because I don't know if you've gotten your first submission yet, but in the beginning, you're getting submitted quite frequently. And so by the time you get your first submission for somebody, that feels like it's an incredible feeling. Yeah, know? I get a couple, but it's mostly on the guys that are just as new as me. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I can't really count this as, as much. When you choke out the guys that are like ahead of you or when you start feeling like you're almost getting them, he's going to come home and he'll have some stories to tell you. Trust yeah. me. <laughs> Sometimes I let him practice my tap like in like a third of a second. <laughs> How come you don't train? How come I don't you don't know. train? I don't know. I just I don't know if that would be my I just think you'd say you're too soft. Yeah, I am a very soft person. I'm really big on like spin, like you know, spin bike. I don't know. It's something about the bike. Hopefully when somebody attacks you, they'll give you time to hop off your bike. <laughs> <laughs> I do it's think great, about that though, about how training could help me. Like if someone was trying to attack or kidnap me, I would be able to like fight back. I think jujitsu is a great form of self-defense for women. You know, obviously it's going to take some training into the end. You have to develop some aptitude, but definitely, I mean, I think er, in my opinion, everybody should, I think everybody should train jujitsu but jujitsu isn't for everybody yeah. and so i get it and the main thing to do is that, i mean if you're watching the fights like you're the things you're talking about you should probably go take a class or two and you'll know yeah. you'll know within the first it's, it depends i mean i don't know um what his gym what his academy is like but in my academy like the the beginners are brought along not soft but they're brought along really easy they're not people aren't submitting them for the first you know, 10 or yeah, 15 classes. No, they, they like throw, the you'll get day. subbed yeah. day one. I got subbed yeah, so many get, times in the first thing. You get subbed a lot. And if you're in the right program, that's going to bring you along. Um, and you'll know, like within the first class or two, you'll know if it's for you, it will resonate yeah. with you, you know, and if it's not, then there's nothing wrong with that. And yeah, I figured I may start spin. with like Tai Chi first. There's the Tai Chi, tai Chi. place down the street. I figured I'd start that first. <laughs> that's a yoga almost. Almost. It's a it's a little closer to mixed martial arts than yoga. yoga I kicks. feel like it's like a middle no, ground. It's not. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> kick the I'm air a little you bit instead. Yeah, yoga. give the air a little kick. <laughs> That's what he did in Roadhouse. I think he was doing Tai Chi. Yeah, <laughs> he did a combination. He did some Tai Chi, but he was actually trained by this guy Benny the Jet Perkitas, who was 
another one of the early mixed martial artists. He did some a little bit of grappling, and he was a world-class kickboxer. I mean, look him up. He was a legend. He's been in a, quite a few movies as well and chore choreographed the fight scenes for several movies. The Roadhouse is pretty sick. I'm a fan of that one. I love that movie. Yeah, that's a good I one. I was a bouncer. I, I, I was a bouncer for a number of years, and we always... Like a club that movie. Yeah, that's not the movie Roadhouse. Oh, definitely. About. oh, I haven't seen it, so I don't know. Roadhouse is Patrick Swayze. Oh, it's so good. Patrick Swayze, he plays a bounce. So there you go. And date night. Yeah, it's so popcorn, good. Sam Elliott popcorn. is in it too. Yep. I think it's it's a great what movie. was his Sam Elliott. Yeah, I think he played like Robert California or something like he was on the office okay. or something. Yeah. But he was uh Roadhouse. Roadhouse okay. is so good. Basically, he gets recruited by this guy who's opening a new club. He's got a dingy club out in the middle of nowhere. And he's like, I'm opening a new one and I need a new bouncer. And he recruits him to come and trouble starts with some other rich guy there. And uh, well, he already has a reputation as being one of the best bouncers in the business. Yeah. That's why he's recruiting. Him. Yeah. He's like, so he brings him down, best. pays him a ridiculous amount of money. <laughs> And then the movie, it's on Netflix, I'm pretty sure. You guys could probably watch it tonight. It's pretty great. Yeah. I love that movie. Yeah, it's I'll one of my favorites. It tonight. It's, it's one of my all-time favorite movies. It's a great one-liners. Yeah. They, the they're, constantly, one -liner. they're constantly talking about how they think he'd be short or taller than he is. Because yeah. <laughs> he's like 5'7". So my first introduction to like, I don't want to say mixed martial arts, but something like it. So my dad's favorite movie is, uh, what's it? Oh, with Bruce Leroy. Uh, what? Uh, the Last Dragon. The Last yeah, Dragon. That's my dragon. dad's favorite movie. <laughs> okay, so that guy, the guy, Ty Mock, the guy who was Bruce Leroy. So he was big into Kung Fu slash Tai Chi. But then after later on, once the UFC came out, like he's like a black belt, maybe a second degree black belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu now. So he oh. really got into Jiu Jitsu once MMA hit the scene. And not that he, I don't know if he wanted to fight or anything, but. I think it was the same thing. He had done everything he could that he thought he could in the stand-up martial arts. And he realized that he was, that grappling was definitely a part that every martial artist needs. And so he probably took his first class and probably fell in love with it. And I think he's been doing it ever since. I hope I him and Alex Caceres have got to hang out at least once, dude. <laughs> Alex Caceres really does look like him in that movie. He does. <laughs> I'm like, every he has time more he hair, fights, though. Yeah, more he does hair. have more. Oh, he cut it down, I think, for his last fight. <laughs> Since he's gotten, he's on he's on a pretty nice win streak right now. Bruce Leroy, yeah, he's on a pretty nice. I love when he fights. He's one of my favorites. He's a great fighter. Yeah. Win, lose, or draw, his fights are great every time. They're always exciting. Yeah. So good, yeah. Yeah, I saw on your Instagram, you whenever there's like knockouts lately, you've been posting those little clips. Mm -hmm. and like your reactions and we do a thing to where we like track the knockouts and there have been more knockouts than normal i think on that last card there was five of them there were five knockouts on just the undercard so yeah. five of the six under i think five, every fight on the undercard was a finish except for one fight maybe two but yeah that was a pretty good card you know there were, definitely the undercard was good the first four fights were finishes then there was one fight that went the distance it was I was impressed. It was a good card. The, the main event, the main event was kind of a stinker. Yeah. yeah. And that clash of heads. Yeah. Oh, oh man. yeah. I was I like, was like no. this better be a no contest. No. I yeah. I, I, was, I was gonna I was gonna post that as a finish, but then they ruled it a low, no contest. Yeah. So I couldn't post anything about it. Yeah. But yeah. I was like, dude, I thought Kevin Holland got knocked out for a second. I was like, I think no. he did. Well, he did. Yeah, he definitely got, oh, he he definitely got knocked out. out by a clash of heads, but yeah. I thought he got knocked out like legit. Like it looked almost like because the way they had the camera <laughs> at first was they had it to uh, Dacus's back, like over right. his shoulder. So you couldn't quite see the clash of heads. You just see Colin drop. And I was like, no, no. Yeah. You know, I, I disagreed with them ruling that as a no contest. You know, I've I've had some controversy in fights of my own. Um the headbutt happened, right? And he went down, but he recovered mm -hmm. and the fight went on and he was fighting back. It wasn't like there was never a point in time when he was unintelligently defending himself and he was fighting back. I mean, what would have happened if he had have gotten back up and knocked Chris Dawkins out? Would they have called yeah. a no contest and, and, and took in the victory away from Kevin Holland? I don't think they would have done that. So I think it's unfair because it was an accidental class of clash of heads. Kevin was fighting orthodox and Dawkins was fighting southpaw. 
and that's a common thing in all in boxing and kickboxing and MMA when you're fighting opposite stances, the headbutt happens. And you know, it was just I'm surprised they didn't stop it right when he went down right there. If and that would have been the only time to rule it a no contest, but because the ref let it continue, and I know they have the instant replay. But like I said, you can't let the fight go and one guy wins. And so you call yeah. it, you call it a no contest where if Holland, like I said, if Holland had a not had a finished off Dawkins, he would have been declared the victor. So how is that? That's not, in my opinion, that's just not fair, but. I think they're going to run it back. Yeah. They said they're no, going to run it back and it back. I'm looking forward to that for sure. Yeah. I Both think the Dawkins brothers are very tough. Yeah. So. Very tough. I don't think the fight was going Kevin's way, you know, and I picked, I was it picking him to win the fight. It didn't seem like it. No, I, I didn't I was like him to win. I thought he was going to win, but I wasn't, when he got up to like a minus 170 oh, uh, favor, I was like, Ooh, he's not that much better than him. <laughs> like that's, yeah. that's a little steep favorite for him on that, this fight. You know, he's faced some higher, he's definitely faced higher level competition than Chris. Um, but again, they talk about a lot about how he took advantage of the COVID and he, he had all those fights in. And so that was great for him. And he won most and lost some. So, you know, I definitely think he was the favorite given the fact that he's faced more higher level competition, but I was picking him. I didn't think the fight was going to be as competitive as it was. I thought that he was probably going to pick Dawkins apart from the, from a distance and then put him on his back and either finish him with the sub or some ground and pound. And Dawkins was in the fight from the gate. I like him as a fighter just and I just figured that Kevin Holland's kind of a guy who's a little bit more on the rise and he's a little bit mm-hmm. farther up the rankings than him and I thought that the fight favored Holland but I was wrong because Dawkins was Dawkins was in that fight right from the, the opening bell so yeah that one I leaned towards Holland but I didn't think he was as much of a favorite as they had him but I definitely thought he would have been a slight favorite like minus 130 I definitely I thought really he was a better because he's just the other. I think Kyle Dawkins has only fought three times in the UFC. I think that oh, was his fourth. Right. His, I think it was like two and one record or something like that. Something, something like that. that. Yeah. But he yeah. has very not as much experience against Kevin Holland, who has fought against the guy who was in the main event as well. He debuted against Tiago Santos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like yeah. he only lost. Is only I think he's only got like three or four losses, and I think only one has gone to come to an unranked guy, which. And- he had some close yeah. split decisions, though, that could have went either way. Definitely. And, I mean, when it comes to looking at the odds, I don't really pay attention to the odds because that's more of a thing for the gamblers, the betting lines. Um, but like you were saying, I look more at the number of fights in the UFC. Obviously, Holland has a lot more fights in the UFC at a higher level of opponent. Dawkins didn't have as many fights. And I think he was coming off a loss. I can't remember. And one of you know, the last one or the one before that, he definitely had a loss. But he's a tough, he's a tough young man. And, you know, obviously training with his brother. And I mean, Philly fighters, no matter what, they're going to be tough. So I mean, Philadelphia is kind of known for that. So I think I didn't give him enough credit. And I think the odds are going to be a little bit different in the rematch. And so we'll see if Holland oh, yeah. keeps doing Colin keeps doing what he was doing and improves in his wrestling because Dawkins' wrestling was still giving him a lot of problems, you know. On yeah, the I really hope. Um, Kevin Holland has approved as much as he says he has. For sure. I mean, he was definitely doing better than he yeah. had before. He definitely <laughs> yeah. saw And that fight against Bronson, I was pretty sad about that one. Yeah, yeah. that was just a terrible fight. <laughs> well, I, th- I mean, I thought that was going to be a tough fight, but I didn't think it was going to be as hard for Brunson as it was. I thought I definitely – I'm a Kevin Holland fan, so don't get me wrong, but just given what I've seen of Holland in the past, I just didn't think the fight favored him, you know, He's a little bit tailor-made for, 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 for Brunson. I figured Brunson would put him on his back and either pound him out or get like a Kimura or something like that because Brunson is just such a physical middleweight. You know what I mean? Kevin Holland isn't – he's athletically gifted. He's fast. He's, you know, he's flexible, but he's not – he's still young, and I don't think he really has that man strength yet. And I just figured that Brunson was going to grind him out, you know, and just – somewhere between the halfway through the third round or the end of the fight, he would probably get the finish. I just didn't think, I didn't think Holland would have the five rounds in him, but again, he proved me wrong. So, you know, and I am a Kevin Holland fan. It's just looking at the way I look at the fights. It's just, I figured Brunson was, it wasn't going to be as hard of a fight for Brunson as it was. It was a good fight too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
Holland gave him a way better fight than Till did. That's for sure. Oh yeah, yes, that was sad to watch. I, Ooh, I did. I thought Till was gonna give him put up a better fight than that on that yeah. one, but I didn't. I mean, no offense to Darren Till. I just think he's a lot of talk. I you know he talks a big game, and I don't really think he delivers in the big fights. You know, he had he like eighty three percent takedown defense going into it. Yeah. That's why I was like, ooh, he might do I was like, he might put up a little bit of a better fight. I still had Brunson picked. But I mean, if he had 83% takedown defense, I'd like to see who those fights were against. Because I would yeah. imagine against the good wrestlers, this, those statistics went down and probably averaged out against guys that didn't have good wrestling or chose to stand and bang with him and got knocked out real quick. So it's, you know, I mean, Darren, don't get me wrong, he's a great kickboxer. Um, I just think that in other facets of the game, he lacks. And I think that that's what's going to stop him from getting to the upper echelons of the sport. Dude, I mean, definitely I mean, he's, a high, he's, a upper, he's an upper level fighter, but I don't think he's ever going to be champion. And I'm not saying that he's a better fighter than me. I'm not saying that to disrespect him. I'm speaking as a fan. You know what I mean? As a fan of the sport. I just, he's not going to be champion at 70 and he's definitely not going to be champion at 85. Yeah. He'd almost, he's almost a guy that would benefit from a 175 pound weight class or a 180 pound if there was more weight classes there's some guys who randomly if they have like a catch weight like julian arosa always says like if there was a 150 pound weight class (laughs) he'd be the champ i don't know i i think that when you're at the lower divisions up before you get up to 155 where it's a 10 pound weight cut weight class I think that's more than sufficient. It's when you jump from 55 to 70, from 70 to 85, from 85 to 205 and 205 on up. That's where I think when the upper above lightweight is where maybe they would benefit from putting two to three new divisions in there to split those weight classes. Cause you do have a lot of tweeners guys that they're too big. They're too small to fight up and they're almost too big to fight down. And so they're cutting the weight. Kevin Lee suffers from that. Agreed, I think, and he's another talented fighter, but I don't, he's, yeah, he's, I don't know. I, I have a lot to say about Kevin Lee. I mean, <laughs> another guy that talks, talks too much, you know what I mean? And base, he talks too much based on, and based on his performances, you know what I mean? He keeps talking like he's a world beater when he's been getting beaten, when he's been being beaten by the world. So yeah. it's just... He bought. He lost to D. Rod. I knew. I was like, I'm surprised they're making this matchup. Him versus Danny Me Rodriguez because he's one of Me the too. biggest welterweights. <laughs> I was surprised. Yeah. I did and not I... see Ke- Kevin Holland. Kevin. I did not see. I'm sorry. I did not see him. Kevin Lee winning that fight yeah. at all. The um, only way I saw him winning it is when D. Rod. He'll exit exchanges and he'll have that chin right out there. And I'm like, oh, Kevin Lee does have a pretty decent overhand right that he could fling out there and maybe catch that, but he didn't. And a great, so. he had a great left high kick too. But yep. like, the thing about that with D-Rod, when you're swinging that much power and you know that guys are backing up, I mean, you don't see a lot of people standing in the pocket with him and trading. So you can exit with your hands down and your chin up when you know guys are retreating. So it's probably a, it's probably like a calculated gamble, you know, right. but it also might cost him, when he's fighting another banger, he might get clipped and then they'll go back to the drawing board and tighten up his defense. But, and he's also got the Southpaw thing working for him. You know? Man, I wish That's he sick. was in the UFC at a younger age. I don't know his story a lot, but he just seemed to come out of nowhere and he's been prison. So good. Was his story. That's what, that's what they alluded to. And I'm so, like, is it just cause he looks like an inmate or is I don't it, know. was he actually an inmate? I don't, I don't care about that. You know, yeah. I mean, unless he was in jail for like, you know, like, rape or murder murder or yeah it was probably just child i mean it could have been something like that if he got out at like age 27 so i doubt it was rape or murder it's probably yeah yeah probably sold drugs or something and i like how you when you use the phrase calculated gamble because one of the things i really like about fighting is how a lot of fighters like kind of refer to like a card game you know like a lot of times when I listen to podcasts with um, Israel Adesanya, he really like explains it like it's a game, like and breaks it down like what's going on with the fight, and like how you kind of analyze someone's fighting skill and like if you know if you're gonna go down with your hands in or down or whatever, you know. 
And that's one thing I really like about like just the exchange and like the thought behind. Yeah, because some guys, because it's you know he could wrestle here, he could yeah. throw here, you don't know, so you might keep your hands higher or lower, like Masvidal get caught when you think he might go for some wrestling. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean it's it's all a calculated gamble, and depending on the fighters' IQ and the level of their training partners and coaching staff or a combination of all three, you know, I think that's what fortune or luck favors those guys, you know, that are, have higher level IQs, higher level training partners, higher level coaches. And those are the guys that you're seeing that are more successful in the game. So. Yeah. And I think it shows a lot more in fighting as well, because you don't have a team to rely on or pick up where you're messing up when you're in that fight, you know, versus like basketball. Well, you do, you, the, you do have a team to rely on. And that's another thing you're seeing this more. And if you went, if you guys do some research, you'll see in the past, there were teams that were dominating MMA. There was Brazilian top team. There was Militic fighting systems. Um, AKA was one of those groups. There were some, some kill, there was Killer B in Japan. There was Rebaka in Japan. So you're, you always hear this fighters talking about iron sharpens iron. So the team is so important in everything before the fight. I mean, if you're training with scrubs and you're going to fight high-level guys, you're probably not going to be as successful as the high-level guy who's training with other high-level guys. It's probably not going to go your way. You know, no, fighting's 50-50. Like yeah, I mean, it, you're, the, it, you look down the rankings of the, the ranked fighters, you see extreme, extreme couture, you see AKA, you see... MMA lab, you see Sarah Longo, American top uh, team, American top team. You see some emerging teams like factory X, like elevation. There's Greg Jackson's. And so in the past, not as much, there, anymore, were, but... there were fewer teams. There were still teams, but those teams were the teams that you were seeing that were winning the belts at the higher level. Now there's much more parity in the sport. There are more teams out there and you're seeing more, you're seeing more, more parity, so more competition within the weight class, right? There are a higher number of better fighters, you know, higher higher level fighters Wasn't than there, there were in the past. Just watch. I think there was like a coach who had like three fighters. Oh, probably Trevor night. Whitman. Trevor yeah, Whitman. I think he had like or three. James Krause. James Krause seems to have a lot of like there's, three there's or four glory. people there's... in one card. Yeah, glory James Krause has... would be on a lot. Yep. He's another, his team is another up and coming team that is probably going to be doing big things in the future. Um, they're not, they're a newer team, right? They haven't been around as long as ATT or um, AKA or MMA Lab or Greg Jackson's or Sarah Longo's, you know, but they're, he's definitely putting quality fighters into the UFC and he's himself is delivering quality performances when he's fighting. So, you know, Glory MMA is definitely a team to keep an eye on. Yeah, they're a great one. Are there any matchups? That you'd you're uh, you'd you'd like to see coming up. There's one that I've been thinking of. If you need time to think, go ahead. Dude, I don't really I, think about especially it. after yesterday. I was like, dude, Patty the Batty versus Hernandez, Alexander Hernandez at 155. I think would be a great matchup. I think it would be a great matchup. I actually coached Alex Hernandez for four four of his fights a, long, a while before he made it to the UFC. Um, he's a tremendous talent, and I think you're going to be seeing a lot of things out of him. Um, a long, there was a long time ago when I urged him and some other fighters that I told them, like, there's a, I live in San Antonio where he's from, and there's a lot of talent here, but it's a different training environment here. Like, the best fighters here, they don't all train together. And in California, at AKA, when we would have Josh, Tom, Josh Thompson, Gilbert Melendez, they had three epic battles in Strikeforce, but they also had a lot of other fights in strike force and Gilbert would come down and him and Josh were training partners and friends and they would train for every single fight together unless they were fighting each other. And so these fighters, I told them, I'm all, you know, it's great that you're winning local fights and things like that. But if you really want to make it in the game, you are going to need to go and train with the team because you're the big fish in the, you're a very big fish in a very little pond and you are not going to become a bigger fish by eating little guppies. Yeah. And Eventually, you know, Alex, he took, a, unfortunately, he had to learn the hard way. He took a couple tough losses, but he made the move. I mean, he's still part of his original team, which is a great team. I'm not taking anything away from them, but they didn't have any athletes or coaches who had competed at a very high level. 
Um, and so he went to a team where there are a bunch of other fighters who are top tier fighters with top tier coaching and his coaches, his local coaches are going up and helping with his training camps and they're learning from that. And so that team will probably begin, begin producing some more, some top, some good local fighters from San Antonio, but that's a, a learning process, but Alex made the right move to go to factory X. And I think you've seen, you know, he still has some learning to do, you know, he's very successful against lower tier fighters as he steps up to the middle tier, like Chavo Moises or higher up guys like Cerrone and things like Drew Dober and things like that. You know, there's still a learn, a growing process for him, but he's young. He's extremely talented. He's extreme, extremely hungry. Like the, I'm a lot bigger than him. The first time I trained with him, I was like, this kid can do something in the sport. So yeah, I mean, he knocked out the right decisions. Yeah. I mean, if he makes the right decisions and he keeps doing what he's doing, I think he'll, he'll make some waves in the lightweight division. Only yeah. time will tell. I would love to see him versus Patty, dude. I think I lean towards Hernandez winning that one. Yeah, and too. and I think there'd be plus money on him. So well, that, other guy already, that other guy already called out Patty. Um, yeah, the right beforehand. Jared Gordon already, Jared, Jared Gordon already called him yeah. out. I like Jared Gordon as a fighter as well. So we'll see who gets the fight. You know, I think Patty, to fight either one of those guys, I think Patty the Batty needs a couple more fights in the UFC. He came in with a lot of hype. I don't think his... I mean, he had a big knockout, but it in the fight. But the fight was very competitive before he hurt and finished the fight. That's for sure. So when he steps up yeah, to the higher tier, yeah. So when he steps up to a higher level of competition, you know, he he definitely has a, a growing phase to go through. But he's definitely a talent to keep an eye on. Yeah, I just want to see him go up against somebody else who, who will swing with him. I'm not <laughs> ready to see him get took down yet. I'm like, come on, give him a couple, give him a couple first. His ground game seem okay in his highlights, but that's also a different league where those guys yeah. are not nearly the level. Yeah, they don't have fellas. the level of, re- in Europe, they don't, in, in Britain, they don't have quite the level of wrestling um, that we have. I think the jiu-jitsu is very, is very good. There's some high-level jiu-jitsu there. Um, and wrestling is such a crucial part of the game. And that's something that takes time to develop, like Kevin Holland went in and did his camp with Johnny Hendricks, but developing, he's going to need to do three or four more camps before you really see the result. You know what I mean? He needs to be training wrestling every day for a year, a year and a half to where you'll see improvements, but to where you see gains to where he's stopping wrestlers and threat, not just stopping their shots and, but still having to get pinned against the cage, but where he's stopping their shots and able to disengage or stopping their shots and able to counter with wrestling. So that's when that's what I would consider to be improving on your wrestling, just being able to stay up, but still getting put against the cage and dirty box. Yeah, it's an improvement, but it's not anything that's going to help you win the fight, right? Yeah, because you're not improving sure. your position and you're not, you don't have octagon control. So needs to get some good man. sprawl action going. What True. was that fight when you were saying it was like perfect? Oh, Robbie Waller versus Rory McDonald. Robbie has some picture perfect sprawls in that fight. Oh, it's yeah. like, oh man, that is it almost looks like he's on ice, how his feet slide. I'm like that is perfect right there. I mean, well, Robbie has has real wrestling experience and yeah. from coming up with Militage fighting systems in Iowa, which is a, a huge wrestling state. You know, you're you're gonna have to have pretty good wrestling to put Robbie on his back and to do and then you have to get past those bricks. So it's tough to do takedowns when guys are hurling 80 mile per hour bricks at your face. Yeah. So it's tough. God, he's that got so a, many great fights. Kid's a warrior. Yeah. Great gladiator. Yeah, he is like the UFC emblem, like his the shape of that. That's Robbie Lawler that he used for him <laughs> for that. So I thought he was very deserving. I was like, that's how they <laughs> oh, that's who they should use. Like when it shows like the damage on somebody when there's guys standing there and it shows like the head damage and everything. That's Robbie Waller's silhouette. Yeah, that we they saw use. uh we went back and watched the was it the Nixias versus Yeah, Waller versus that we watched the first I showed her the first so one. Brutal. That was the before the second the one. Most brutal one I've ever seen. They looked completely Oh no, no, you're talking about Robbie versus Rory. Are you sure? Yes, that's when they look different. Okay, it was yeah, only yeah, a round yeah. and a half the first time he okay. fought yeah. McDiaz. That was pretty bad beating. Yeah, they, they were both you. flattened out. Yeah, they're, yeah, it was wild. They had flat so, noses. I kind of got to get a little bit pressed for time. I got to get the kids to bed. All right. Well, yeah, it was great having you on, dude. It was 
our one is of our live best or episodes. is this something you guys do you guys go back and edit it and then you put well it we don't back? we could edit some parts out but it was pretty good <laughs> we're there was not only, super techie but you know we're gonna get there was there. there was i know how to edit and stuff there was only like two seconds where i'm not even gonna bother where you're like i'll, I'll be gone for a second so it okay. isn't even worth editing out but that's about it though <laughs> cool well um if you can shoot me you know like a copy or a link for it i'll post it up on my pit instagram page if you can do it very cool Give me a follow on instagram if you can and yeah everybody follow him on there. instagram at bobby southworth or is it the at real the bobby real, southworth at the real b south the real bobby real b southworth yeah yeah and i just want to say thank you again and you know i did a lot of research as well and i just like going through your record and everything i just think that like you know you with you teaching and everything i think you're doing a really good thing in the community as well just because you know how we talked about a lot of kids like get into fights and stuff like that and i think it's a good path for a lot of kids to start and everything so i think you're making a, like a big difference in your community thank you i appreciate that's that that's important to me me as well well there you go this has been b is for brutal episode 10 thanks everybody for watching thank all right y'all have a good night thank you yep you too all right Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Be Sir Brutal podcast. We hope you guys enjoyed listening to it as much as we enjoyed making these episodes. And we just want to say thank you again for supporting this podcast week after week. And we really appreciate everything you guys do from tagging us on Instagram or DMing us and sending us memes. So if you don't follow us on Instagram already, feel free to give us a follow at Be Sir Brutal MMA. We're on TikTok and Twitter as well. And thank you again for supporting the podcast.